Do you believe in your business and want it to grow quicker? Make more sales, scale the business? <laughs> yeah, me too. I just love helping women in business and I want your business to be the best it can possibly be. You can expect truthful accounts of the highs and lows of business, struggles, traumas, epic highlights and priceless moments. I'll be sharing how this busy mum scaled a business from a local class in a village hall to 60 franchisees internationally. So let's get started. I'm Charlie Day and you're listening to the Entrepreneurs Growth Club podcast. Hello, I have got Alison Jackson Carter with me today from Enlightened PR. Hello, Alison. Hello, Charlie. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Tell people a bit about your business and why you set it up. So I set up Enlightened PR uh, just over a month ago now because um, I wanted to help small businesses and entrepreneurs build their profile. So I'm there to help them secure media coverage, um, work out where their target audience is, whether they should be on podcasts, whether they should be doing conferences, helping them hone their messages and basically raise their profile in the space they need to be raising their profile. Because I think it's really easy for people to get distracted with PR and think they need to be everywhere rather than just thinking about where exactly their audience is. Um, so yeah, I set that up just over a month ago. I have a Facebook group. I have a membership group coming, which is going to be really exciting. And yeah, it's going quite well so far. I'm excited. It's fun. And what made you set it up? Uh, basically the pandemic. Um, I'd always wanted to run my own business of some sort. I'd, um, I was just in awe of all of these people I know that have done it like you and um, so many of my friends have just like gone I'm just going to do it and just taken that that leap and done it and I was always just too nervous I just I always thought of myself as more of an employee than an employer Um, but the pandemic really changed things for me because I saw firstly I saw how small businesses were struggling um, how so many of them were having to pivot and diversify and it, it, there were so many challenges they were facing in getting in front of, getting in front of the right audience. So, um, you know, if you take, for example, um, phonics classes and you guys, um, you went from seeing your customers every week to not being able to see them or seeing them over a Zoom and having to communicate via social media and communicate via email and doing Facebook lives and Instagram lives. And um, it, I could see that there were so many small businesses that were suddenly having to really think about their, their comm strategy and how they were communicating about their business and, and how they wrote things, how they spoke about their business. And I could see some were doing it really well and some weren't doing it really well. And there were so many little things. And I, I started kind of trying to help people get a bit more of a profile for their business um kind of you know sending advice and trying to interact with businesses but um a lot of them were like who are you (laughs) you know why why would I listen to you so um I thought well let's let's set up something that um I can just kind of maintain on the side of my kind of full-time day-to-day corporate job that can just give a little something back to people in helping them um maybe raise their raise their profile because I get contacted about opportunities and I've got so many, I've such a great network of journalists and producers and things that are after interesting stories every day. Um, It just seems like a no brainer not to be trying to hook those people up with one another. So how have you found that sort of switch from obviously that, that mentality of being an employed person and, and that brain space to being an entrepreneur because it, it is totally different and like you say you thought you were just uh, made to be an, an employee um what what's the difference for you and how have you found that um so as much as I, I you know I think I have this really working class mentality of being like no I need to be employed um that's the safe risk-free route to be um and but then there's this other part of me where people have said to me throughout my whole career where they've said you 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 work so hard and you're so dedicated and so passionate about your job roles it's like you own the business and 
it's true. I, I know I acknowledge that. And I think when you're in kind of a PR role, you are on 24-7. But I I treat my job like it is my own business. I've never I've never been like, ah, five o'clock, that's me out the door. That's not who I am. I, you know, I my firstborn, you know, he was only a matter of hours old, but I was sitting there checking coverage for the brand um, <laughs> in my hospital bed, um, contacting my Mac cover going, how's things going? Um, <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just who I've always been. So when, with regards to kind of having to be solely responsible for what's going on with the business, I actually really like it. And I found that I've learned so much. So doing PR, um, you kind of have an eye on what the marketing team are doing and what the finance team are doing um, and the ops team are doing. And you kind of have an idea of what, what their function is and what they do and how they use their money and, and how it works. But it's kind of an academic theory idea rather than the actual practical side of doing it. So when it came to marketing and sales, I was like, oh, I've kind of, you know, I know what's going on with marketing and sales, but, you know, PR is my niche. But when I've had to try and market myself and learn about doing Facebook ads or working about how to use Instagram for business, um, it's, it's been completely different having the sole responsibility of doing that rather than seeing another team do that. Um, and also having it be a case of investing my own money rather than investing a bit another business's money someone else's yeah. money um so that's been a real shift yeah totally so we should probably have this disclaimer now you're one of the only people in the entrepreneurs growth club you yeah one of the only people in the entrepreneurs growth club who i actually know yeah <laughs> which is a weird shift for me. Um, but what I think, like, obviously I haven't been doing this for that long, but what I think um, happens is I'll, I'll work with some people and they'll be like, Charlie, I'm launching a business. Here's my idea. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, do this, do this, do this and do this. And then they'll take that and either do it or not do it, or maybe do some of the things. Um, so our, our, children go to theatre school together and whilst they're at theatre school we used to sit on a bench and yeah. talk <laughs> and it was the highlight of my week but yeah. um we, this is what we spoke about we talked about like the entrepreneurs growth club and your job and PR and all of the things um and then obviously you've gone and launched this business but I feel like I've like you came to me and I said do this do this do this and you just gone away and done them all and that yeah. is like and now you're on fire I'm I think I'm I'm really good at follow like if if I believe that what somebody is telling me is the right way to do things and the truth and that I know you know I'm very good at acknowledging what I don't know um mm -hmm. so if I don't know something I'll find someone who does know it and then I'll listen to what they say and then I'll do it like I'm I was I was quite good at like learning how to do like skydiving, indoor skydiving and things like that. Because if somebody tells me what to do, it's like driving. If somebody tells me what to do, I can do it because I don't, I don't necessarily have to understand it to just follow the instructions um, of somebody else. So yeah, everything you said to do, I was like, right, well, she knows what she's doing. So I'll just do that. And that's how I like people to work with me. I like people to come to me and say, Alison, you know how to do the PR stuff. Just get it done. And then I can go, okay, leave it with me. Just do as I tell you to do and it'll all work smoothly. Um, I think sometimes people, people resist, they have a mindset of resistance where they think, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not, you know, I don't quite believe this person or that doesn't make sense to me, but it's not always going to make sense. Like I'm not an expert at sales. I'm not an expert at loads of things. You um, so that's why I need other people around me. Yeah, you cannot possibly be an expert in everything to do with running a business because you'd be like some superhuman who could just do everything but I think sometimes when it's your business and you care loads about it and then you have somebody from the outside saying have you thought about doing this or have you thought about doing it this way instead sometimes people have that resistance because it's their baby and it's their thing and and they can't see it from a different point of view but I'm exactly the same as you if um and like I've, I've used you for my own PR but if I think that someone's got the key to some knowledge, then I'm just wanting to unlock that door straight away and, and have that. But just moving on from, from that, 
you know, you can't be an entrepreneur and, and know it all. And I'm so into learning every day. I'm learning something new. I do the courses, listen to the podcast, read the books. It's so, so important to me to always be doing that. But I do think that there's some things in business where you think, actually, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's better to outsource it or it makes more sense to outsource it or whatever. And I think that PR is one of those things for a lot of people that maybe falls into the category of actually I could just get someone else to do it for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not, although I've learned firsthand how great it is to have those PR opportunities, it's often not the top of people's lists. So um, two questions. One, how important do you think it is? But two, do you think it is possible to do your your own PR? Um, I think in the early days of running a business, you, you, you want to be focusing on probably marketing and sales rather than PR. Um, because you've got to have the business coming in the door. And PR is something that is much more of a long-term investment of your time. And I think what I tend to say to people is put your money into marketing at the beginning, um, and but put your time into PR because PR takes longer, but it's, it's free. Um, so it doesn't cost you. And once you get that PR up and running, it will start running itself. So, um, you know, in my corporate job, we started, we, we launched a brand eight years ago in the UK that had never been in the UK before. And for the first, you know, year, it was proper graft, you know, every day, me and um, the, the two guys reporting into me were going, contacting journalists and being really, really proactive. Um, and we, you know, we were being paid for it, we had the time to do that. Um, but after a while, people start coming to you, and they remember you. And that's when it all starts paying off. And then you can kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit more. I think if you're a massive, massive business like this was, you, yeah, pay for a PR team, but there's also no substitute for you doing your own PR because you understand your brand better than than anybody else. You understand your audience better than anyone else, your customer. And you also understand your messaging and essentially, when you're a small business or an entrepreneur, it's your name, it's your, it's your personal reputation. So to outsource that to somebody else to manage, you know, definitely take consultation, take advice from somebody else. But I, I personally would not have anybody else manage my reputation with something as influential as, um, you know, key stakeholders to my business, such as the media or um, networking groups or conference speaker bookers and things like that. I'd want to own those relationships myself. I'd take advice on who to target and how to target them, but I'd want to be the face of my own reputation because essentially that is so incredibly valued to your business. And you don't understand the true value of your reputation and how, how well you're perceived and how successful your PR has been until you hit a crisis point and you have something that's damaging happening to your brand because that's when you if you've invested and you've built relationships and you've 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 invested in your PR and you've had a strategy you've got kind of a cushion to fall back on so if somebody reads something negative about you mm, that's one negative thing but they've read you know 200 positive things about you whether that's on social media or whether that's in the press um, so, you know, they've probably seen you do a Facebook live. So, you know, they, they think, oh, well, you know, not everyone's always going to have a really positive experience. But if you haven't done any of that, if you've never put yourself out there, you've never done a Facebook live, you've never done any PR with your local newspapers or your local networking groups or, you know, anything like that. And then people start writing negative things about you or your product then you've got no cushion. You've got no, no one can point to anything that's good about you. All they're going to see is the negative. So I think what I would say is that you should always have control of your own brand and PR, um, but you should take advice. And that's basically what I want to do with Enlighten. I want to give people the skills and the tools and the support for them to go and do it themselves. And I think people get intimidated. They get really scared. Um, you know, I was speaking to one of the members of um, the Entrepreneurs Growth Club today, and she said, oh, I'm really scared about contacting them. I get nervous. 
And I said, but you've just contacted one and had a really positive outcome. So you need to stop being scared now. Like you've seen it, it isn't scary. Journalists are after stories. So, you know, even if they ignore you, they're not cross that you've contacted them as long as you've done it in the right way. Um, so Sometimes I, think, I get things back saying, oh, it's not quite right. Could you do it more like this? Or you're not quite right for that story. But next week I'm looking for something that. So I think that they're more willing to work with you than we probably realise. Yeah, absolutely. They're desperate for content. Content is king and they're desperate for it. Yeah. So there are a lot of opportunities out there and people will remember you if you approach them in the right way and you're nice. Um, if a PR approaches them, then, then you're not going to be as memorable to them. Whereas if you do it yourself, they'll remember you and they'll remember that you kind of, you had the enthusiasm and you were proactive enough to actually come to them in the first place. So I'm a real advocate of particularly, you know, small and medium-sized businesses doing their own PR. Okay, so people are going to be listening to this thinking, but how, Alison, how do I do it? So share, like, talk us through that. I think, <laughs> I think the first thing to think about is who your audience are, which most people should know anyway from doing their sales and marketing strategy. And when you've done that, work out what they're reading and what they listen and what they consume. Because you might find that you think that they are, you know, exactly like you and they're not. And I find this all the time that people think that their customers and their clients are just like them and they read what they read and they watch what they watch. And the reality is often quite different. And that information is all out there, you know, circulation figures for newspapers, um, you know, reader demographics and listener demographics, um, podcast downloads, that's all out there. So, you know, you can find that information quite easily. And when you work out what they are consuming and what media they like, then you can look at that media yourself, watch those programs, listen to the podcasts, read those newspapers, read the magazines, and then think, right, well, how can I get my story and my product and, um, you know, share my information and my, you know, my inspiration in those publications and in that media for them to be aware of who I am and to also feel that I'm more credible because of it, because I've been published somewhere. Um, and I think once you've done that and you've worked out where your customers need you to be, then it's just a case of being strategic about it and putting aside, you know, it could even just be one hour a week to think, right, I've done content on these five things this week, which one might be interesting to a journalist, I'm going to message them. I always say that you should have Google alerts for what's going on in your industry. So I have Google alerts on my phone for um, like crisis communications, uh, reputation management, because something if something if a news story breaks that covers those issues i want to be there in a position to comment it on it as a pr expert so you know if you want to be an expert on women's fitness then you want to have some google alerts set up for things that are like a real passion for you whether that's you know obesity statistics or um you know positive body image if that's something that you want to be talking about, set up a Google alert. And then as soon as something breaks, you can be positioning yourself as a commentator on that issue. And then it's just a case of sending out the emails. And um, it's not as scary as what people think. It is It is just an email. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And do you recommend, like, a, a, like, this is such a simple question, but it's one that always plagues my mind. So I feel like I need to ask it on behalf of everyone. Do you send pictures at, and or videos in the first instance or not no no because i think it clogs up people's emails and also it's like why have you sent me a picture like why have you sent that to me <laughs> like you should it should be really easy for people to google you and see what you look like and if i'm honest if you're pitching for a tv slot they will google you before they'll even reply to you they'll want to see what you look like do you look like their customers and you know their audience and what they they will want to you to look like um so i always think you should have you know plenty of images and video if possible if you've done any broadcast always try and get that on your website and on your social media channels that's easily findable for journalists so they can say oh look she did that interview on sky she's really good we should book her because certain slots so for example when i was at this morning you know, a slot on this morning can often be, you know, eight minutes long. 
Um, and you need somebody that isn't just going to like come out with a quick 30 second soundbite. You need somebody that's going to be able to sit and pay attention and be interesting for a longer period of time in an interview. So they've actually got to know their stuff. So if you can see them, examples of them having done that before, then it's definitely going to intri- like it's definitely going to enhance your chance of getting booked. Um, but they may say to you, can you send us over some images? You know, always say, I've got some photos if you want to see them or click this link to see my interview that I did at Sky. But my advice would be to not clog up people's email inboxes, like just get to the point really quickly. On like a smaller level, so let's say someone's just starting out in their business, um, you know, it's quite a, a small business. Let, let's even say it was like a, one of my franchisees. So they're just starting out in, um, I don't know, Cornwall running their classes. How they're probably not going to get the press coverage like national press coverage because we would be picking that up. How important do you think local press coverage is in that? instance because I feel like no one reads those local type publications or listens to you know Chelmsford radio or whatever it is but do you still think there's a a place for that sort of media? Yeah and I think it does depend region by region because some people in some areas you'll find that people are very loyal to their local paper Um, you know people would rather buy the MEN in Manchester than buy a national Um, You know, they want to know what's going on in their community and they will pick their regional radio stations. I think with Essex, um, where we are, you kind of feel a bit more part of London anyway. And like everything in Essex is a bit more national focused. But a lot of times if you're out in the regions, the, you know, local news is important to you. Oh, yeah, we grew up in local news is really important to communities and keeping them abreast of what's going on. If you don't have local news things will happen in your community that you won't ever know about and you won't get to have a say on. Um, so yeah, I do think that there's, there's, you know, if you were, if someone was to set up a phonics class, the first thing they want to do is get in their local paper with a nice picture story talking about how we're doing a phonics class, come yeah. along. Um, and they want to be doing that regularly, whether that's through, you know, a, a charity event they do or a free event they do, or they, they pop up at a school fate or something because it just makes them feel like, you know, people will feel like they're part of the community then. They'll remember them. And even if they don't need phonics classes themselves, they might recommend it to other people. And they know it's there for other people as well. Because it's almost, I was going to say, we grew up in the Peak District and the Peak Advertiser was like life, you know, everybody (laughs) read it. Um, (laughs) But I feel like, and this is whether it was national news or local news or any press we've had, the reason we have done well from it is through sharing it on social media and people going, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's, I always say to people, as soon as you get press coverage, shout about it everywhere on social media, because they say that people have got to be told something three times before they remember it anyway, Um, a minimum of three times. So if they've seen it in the paper, then they see it on social. It's like just that, you know, it's reiterating the same messages. But there are going to be people that you won't reach through a paper, um, but you will reach on social. But what the paper will do is it will give you that third party credibility. Like there's nothing um, better for a brand than to have a newspaper or a magazine or a TV show or radio station endorsing them as an expert at something. So, you know, it. If you, if, if you get an opportunity to go on this morning and talk about something that you're an expert in, then that's like Phil and Holly and that whole ITV brand are endorsing you as an expert and people will automatically trust you more. They're more likely to use you. They think you must be better than another expert because you've been on the TV. Mm-hmm. So it will do wonders for your reputation. So let's just talk about that, actually, because I feel like I am that demographic where you're like, what do you read? What do you consume? And a lot of it is social media. You know, I have the BBC app on my phone um, with alerts turned on just for Boris Johnson type stuff. Um, (laughs) Make sure my child can still go to preschool. But, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I consume is on social media. So, talk to me about that like is do you class that as PR like if you're working with influencers and stuff um basically anything that you're not paying for is PR anything that is about your reputation so 
I think of social media as one of the channels you use in which to enhance your reputation and one of the channels you use to speak to your publics. So if I'm putting out a big press release, um, then I'm going to send that to newspapers. I'm going to send it to broadcast outlets because that's kind of the creme de la creme of getting those slots. But I'm always going to put it on my social media as well. And I'm going to try and get other social media channels to like to put it on theirs. You just want to get it as far and wide as possible. And social will, you know, social gives us the power to do that in a way that, you know, we never had before. Um, and I think together the two work really well. Um, there's still kind of a bit of skepticism to, you know, the internet from people where they think, oh God, is this person who they think they are? And, you know, you hear of this all the time with people buying into a business that doesn't exist. Um, so I think when you can combine the two, that's, that's exactly where you, you want to be. So, you know, obviously day to day, you want to be pushing out the most engaging and interesting social content you can. But if on top of that, you can be aiming every month to get some press coverage as well, it will just take you to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've certainly found that being featured in the press has been hugely beneficial for us. And, you know, when we've done charity events, a great awards, um, one of our franchisees gave birth to a baby in the back of the car. And um, that was like the biggest press story that we've ever yeah. had. We managed to weave the brand in somehow. Um, yeah. They're the best stories. Like if you've got stories that are about people that you can weave a brand into, that that's kind of the best thing ever. Um, you know, anything that's a human interest story that can be tied back to your business is perfect. And often if you've got a good human interest story and you offer it to a journalist and you say, look, I've got this great story, but I'm going to want you to mention my brand, even though it's a, you know, a bit of a difficult link there. Um, they'll often say, well, if you'll give it to me exclusively, then of course I'll include your brand. And you'll say, yeah, okay, fine. You can have that then. Um, That's exactly what happened to us. And it's funny how things turn the tables turn because all of this time I'd been you know trying to make those relationships that you talk about with journalists it took us 18 months um, of running phonics before we were even featured not for one of us trying really hard but we just we couldn't get in um, and then 18 months into our business our local paper was literally putting us in on a monthly basis and we got some um I sold 30 franchises like the week before I was 30 so we did this whole 30 before 30 that got picked up and got loads of national press um and then one of my franchisees had the baby in the car and suddenly the Sun newspaper and the Metro were like on the phone to me asking me to like and I was like whoa this is so it is amazing when that happens when you see that shift of you begging people to them actually contacting and reaching out to you yeah and if if a story is interesting it will explode really quickly and it will be an absolute bum fight it will be like who's got the pictures have can we get different pictures to what the other news organization have got can we get this exclusively who can you know they'll be trawling Facebook looking for things um you know if there's a good enough story out there people will go to great lengths to get um the best possible coverage of that story um it's it's you know it's it's really quite um intense if there is a big news story news organizations will do anything to get one over on one another um you know i've worked um in places before where we've wanted to ex you know get an exclusive chat with somebody so we've couriered a mobile phone to that person's house. Um, so they get this parcel and they like take the parcel in and open it up and it's just a phone and there's one number programmed into it and it's like our number. Um, and then we just keep ringing it and eventually they pick it up and that's our way of like actually getting them to like respond to us if it's a story they don't want to talk about. Um, Is you know, that allowed? Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, well, yeah, they took a, they, they got a free phone. Um, <laughs> um, honestly, people will do anything. There's a whole network of taxi drivers that will be couriering letters that they print off in their office and then drive and find a remote address of somebody um, that newspapers are trying to contact. It's much easier with, with Facebook now. Like, yeah, um, journalists now have it a lot easier than what we did back in the <laughs> days. Back in your mobile phone days. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it, I always say that you should, um, you should, if journalists are trying to get in touch with you, take take advice but you should probably try and talk to them um 
unless you've done something terrible, most of the time, if you talk to them, they'll start to go away. But there is a balance between obviously, you know, once you go out there and start engaging, then it's hard to rein that back in. But um, most of the time, people aren't going to be tied up in a story that's going to impact their life forever and ever if they do speak. So So one thing that I've always admired about you is, like, I grew up in a place where my mum didn't have a job. She was a stay-at-home mum and um, Lewis's mum was the same. And it's something that I struggle with. And I've I've spoken about this a lot, but I struggled to understand how to be a mum and work. And obviously you have a a really successful career and now you've got a side hustle as well you've got two small children and you just seem to me to be managing it all absolutely seamlessly so talk to us about how you do that because I I really do admire women who can do it all or or could certainly look like they can do it all anyway Mm, I definitely do not do it all um <laughs> I wish that I could and other people thinking oh god how have they managed to do that when I don't have time for that um but I think I've always prioritized my ha- having a career and having my own life outside of my children because I think having seen my mum she was such a hands-on and brilliant mum for us Um, And she was so unbelievably selfless all the time with her time and her money and her energy. And she still is. She's like that now with us and and with her grandchildren. But when we got to that teenage period and, you know, I'm quite strong minded and I, you know, I'm quite, you know, I know my own path. I know where I'm going. Um, I'm quite like my dad in that respect. But when I got older and I didn't need her as much, um, she was kind of a bit lost for a while. And I always thought to myself, oh God, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to just get to a point where my children leave home and I I don't feel like I've got anything to throw myself into anymore. And my mum's done a really good job actually of creating and building a life for herself, having had us leave the home. You know, she did an awful lot from my grandparents as they got older. You know, she's been an absolutely amazing nan to all of her grandchildren. And she's still an amazing mum, you know, I don't know who would fix all my clothes and things, um, (laughs) who would help me get stains out of things. But um, I always knew that I wanted to have a career. And I wanted, I knew it would be harder for me um, to not be as perfect as what my mum was with me. Um, But it was just so important for me to have something outside of my children. And yeah I think that keeps me going and also you know I like the idea of them because I've got two boys I like the idea of them seeing a woman that works and not having this expectation that women just stay at home um, and rely on a man so that's that is kind of what drives me I think yeah I'm totally the same even like the language I use I'm like I'm going to fix that torch while daddy does the ironing just to flip it on its head and um, yeah and that's how I sort of manage that transition between being an entrepreneur without a child which (laughs) I thought was hard but I realized now was easy to having a child and running a business I think you know if I can show him that this is what a woman can be capable of and actually you know I have created this um then I think that that can only be a really good thing yeah I think the the idea that we will have children that go out into the world that think that they can be their own boss if they need to be mm-hmm. then that, that that's just going to be brilliant for them absolutely brilliant let's talk about journalist requests or PR requests because mm-hmm. this is a way that I have got featured as well um that I feel like people could go away from this podcast and just implement straight away and I'm all about mm-hmm. taking action so tell people you tell people because your tips will be better than mine yes yeah, so journalists are looking for case studies all of the time So they want to write a story on something, they've got some data, but they need some real life human people to back up that that story is true and to add a human interest element to it. So say, for example, um, this was one that I had to do when I was working at Five News. So um, there were stats out that were saying that there were record numbers of pregnant women who were obese. Um, So my job was to find 
some obese pregnant women to go on the television to talk about how difficult it is to be pregnant and obese or like that they didn't even know they were obese and it, you know obviously I'm like 25 going oh my god where the hell am I going to find pregnant women who have weight problems um but every day you're looking for case studies like that could be anything so um there's loads of people at the moment looking for case studies of people that have that pets have caused the demise of their relationship there must be some statistic out there about the amount of couples that have broken up over a pet so they're after some case studies to go yeah my boyfriend said it was you know it was him or the dog and I picked the dog um so basically there's so many real life case study um opportunities for people if they're willing to talk about it now I you know, this was a running joke when I was um planning my wedding because um you know when when you're planning a wedding you don't want to spend loads and loads of money um or oh, I certainly didn't so I was trying to do it on a budget but then there were these few things that I was like oh if I just had a bit more money I could I could get that I could get the photo booth or I could get the, those shoes so when I was planning my wedding I basically looked for any kind of case study requests that I could feasibly do um for either me or my husband and um like put up volunteered um, because quite often the case study requests as well, if you're not trying to promote a business, they'll, they'll pay you and they'll give you some money for it. So um, I earned some money doing a double page spread in the sun and being a case study of a, of a bride who was a bride chiller rather than a bridezilla. And the whole story was around how my husband was doing more of the wedding planning than I was. And he was off attending these wedding fairs with his mom and I was sitting at home having a bubble bath. Um, <laughs> which was like, there, there was some elements of truth in it, but it was obviously quite hammed up. Um, and it was this great double page spread that we did off the back of a journal request. We got some money for it. And um, that went towards my wedding. And we also had a um, fish and chip van at our wedding. And um, we used the sun to like wrap it up in um, the double page spread we were in. So um, that was like quite a nice touch as well to have like this like article that we were in wrapping up with, um, wedding food. And also very apt because that is your job and like you try yes. and make your wedding really personal. I love that. Yeah. And um, I, I, I contacted Wedding Magazine and said, do you want me to write about what it's like trying to plan a wedding? And they were like, yeah, sure. So then I became a columnist for Wedding Magazine for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are opportunities out there. If you approach people, there are definitely scope, especially if you're willing to talk about kind of your personal life um so I like this could be like an additional revenue stream yeah well, <laughs> i might start it up as a side hustle yeah well now i would always be now i have my own business i would say i don't care about the money i want you to mention my business true yeah um and they would say well yeah sure we'd much rather mention a business than pay you money um so that is the route that i tend to advise people to go down um sometimes you can combine the two but if, if you're listening to this and you haven't got a business, exactly. I'm questioning why you're listening, but there's a side hustle for you. Exactly. <laughs> there is always opportunities if you're willing to talk about things. Now, you can find journal requests every day. There's loads of groups that are set up. Like I, I have my own free Facebook group um, and every day I post journal requests that are out there with people that are looking for things. Um, there's a hashtag on Twitter, but I find if I post it on the Facebook group once a day, that gives people one place to go to, whereas... Otherwise you can end up, you know, having to be on Twitter constantly. And not many people are on Twitter anymore. I think it's quite a, a niche area of Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I did very well out of Twitter, but it has become quite a polarized social medium. So. No, I find, I find that really useful actually, that you just collect all the journalist requests that might be useful for me and put them in one central place. Yeah. If I see one that's um, that's just perfect for somebody, I'll just send it straight and direct to them. But um, if there are other ones where I think, oh, I'm not sure whether this is right for that person, I'll just post it on the group and think, oh, well, you know, it's a free for all. Anyone who, you know, I, I don't want to be the middleman. I want people to contact the journalists themselves because I think that's the best way for them to kind of um, get their get their branding out there. It comes much better coming from them than coming from me all the time. Totally. And I'm going to be featured in that running magazine that you sent me. So. Oh, excellent. There you go. See, yeah. Journal <laughs> requests. Way <laughs> forward. Um, so what's your biggest piece of advice for anyone who's listened to this, loves it, and is like, right, I'm going to sit down now and write a press release. But they're scared. 
um don't don't be scared don't be scared at all um the media is not as scary as what everybody thinks it is um i've got loads of blogs on my website that people should read about how you should not be afraid of journalists because they are just really there to do a job um and they do want stories so always contact them if you think you've got one um but my biggest piece of advice really is probably just to be confident about it and to be confident in what you're doing and don't take you know if people don't reply to your email like just shrug it off who cares they you know they, they're not interested your story might not be right for them what what often happens as well is you'll send a story to a journalist and they won't reply and you'll say oh well so you'll send it to another journalist and they will reply and then they'll print it and then that first journalist will come back and go oh oh that story that story can you send that to me again because they've seen their their rival publication has got it and then go oh damn it I need that um so yeah I you know just shrug it off there's loads of loads of journalists have ignored stories from me which have gone on to be really big stories that they then had to come back to me for so you know just shrug it off it, you know they're not being rude they're probably just really really busy yeah yeah it's the same as everything I think you know if you get knocked back I, I always say go for the nose go send your press release out to 10 people you might get 10 no's but who knows you might get a yes you probably will if you send it out to that many people um so as you know I finish my podcast always with three questions are you ready yes um, so my first question is about a book that you've read that has either changed your life or changed the way you think about something or that you would recommend. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick two here because I'm going to cheat um, because I know you so I'm allowed to cheat. That's what I think. <laughs> um, so the first book is, um, and I have, I've mentioned this to you before, Charlie, um, it's called The Hundred Year Life and it's by Linda Grattan and Andrew Scott. Not Andrew Scott from Fleabag fame, another Andrew Scott. Um, and it totally blew my mind. And there's nothing in it that's actually that revolutionary, um, if you actually think about it, but it, it, it blew my mind because the basic premise of the book is that everybody goes into their life thinking they're gonna have this three-stage life that their grandparents had, which is that they will spend the first third of their life in education the second third of their life working and the third third of their life retired. And this book says that that's fine if you're only going to live until you're 60, but people are living longer and longer now. And if you're gonna have a 100 year life, you can't expect to retire at 55 and have a sustainable standard of living. And it talks about how people are in education for longer um, and are working for longer, but that you actually, you know, the energy you have to be doing a job at 25, you know, you don't want to be doing that same job when you're 65, even if you do still need to be working because you're going to live till you're 100. Um, so it talks very much about the advantages of having a portfolio career and how people shouldn't, shouldn't think, right, I, I left school and I left university to become this and I did that and I have to be that for the rest of my life the book is about, well, you might do that for 20 years and then you might think, actually, I want to do something else now. And five years down the line, mm, that's been fun. But now I wanted to do that because that's where my passion is. And I've discovered that I'd actually really love to be a teacher. And um, it just blew my mind. It's like this, it was like having somebody say to me, you don't have to just go into one career for the rest of your life, the same way that kind of your parents' generation were taught to. Um, so for me, it it was just such a game changer because I just never really thought about things in that way. So I highly recommend it. 100 Year Life by Linda Grattan and Andrew Scott. Um, and my, my, my cheat here, my second, is actually not a book. It's, um, it's a documentary, which sounds really boring, but you've got to stay with me here because it's not, because it completely changed my life. And it's the Disney Frozen documentary. Now, have you seen it, Charlie? No. Okay. It's long. It's longer than like you think it needs to be, but um, it like it was probably the most gripping piece of television that I saw in 2020, and it was definitely the best thing that came out of Disney Plus. Um, and I watched the whole thing, and I was just on the edge of my seat because when they started filming and making Frozen Two, so the whole documentary is about the making of Frozen Two, and basically, long story short, they've got 18 months till the premiere of Frozen Two and they don't know how the movie's going to end. Like they've got the kind of first half figured out, but they don't know what the end is. Um, 
spoiler alert here, they, like, they know that Elsa goes into a cave, but they don't know who the voice is and who, who's this voice she's following. They don't know who it is. And they get like insanely close to the, the premiere without knowing who it is that Elsa's going to find in this cave when she gets there. And it absolutely blew my mind because one of the things that I always do is I like to, I begin with the end in mind. I know where I want to go before I, before I start off. You know, I don't, you know, I don't just start something without having a goal at the end of, you know, their goal was to have the Frozen premiere and to have a really good movie, but they just didn't know what that was going to be like. And I could not understand how a movie was made like that, but it taught me this really valuable lesson, which was that if you have a team of amazing people around you who are really creative and really passionate, you will get there and you will get to the best ending because the endings they were talking about at the beginning were insanely bad. Um, and then they finally, at the really late stages, were like, oh my God, it should be Elsa's mother. And it was like, yeah, of course it should be Elsa's mother. <laughs> um, but it took them, it took so long for them to get there. But because they had this amazing team, they did get there and they, they trusted that they would get there from having this amazing team. So I really recommend it as an amazing documentary to watch for anybody because it's just mind blowing. Wow. Well, that we've never had a, a documentary mentioned at this moment. So that that's a first. But one thing that I will say is Frozen actually changed my life because really? when I was running my party business, which was called Party Stars, I was like going out as a pirate or a fairy. They were sort of the two main things that I would be. Um, and Frozen came out and I was like one of the first, if not the first person in Chelmsford to get the full Elsa get up um including wig obviously and <laughs> I was fully booked for the whole year and then I wrote Frozen the musical um for my theatre school and that was fully booked for the whole year as well so oh. yeah um, um, what happened to Frozen the musical are you still doing it <laughs> um I don't know actually I don't know if Vicky <laughs> she should bring it back round shouldn't she? Yeah, I think there's still appetite for Frozen the musical definitely especially now the West End one's been pushed back again. Yeah yeah and particularly when the West End one comes out actually then the older one yeah I should get on to her um, yeah. but also <laughs> have you watched um, an Imagineering story about the making of Disney? No I haven't but I bought the book um, I've got the book and that's on my to read list because um, I am really excited about about that. I read the um, Bob Iger one because he was the um, chief exec of Disney and yeah. that was OK. It was a bit dry. So I definitely think I want to read the ones about the more creative side of Disney. And that will be much more interesting. Yeah, because that, that was the reason that I got um, Disney Plus in the beginning to watch the Imagineering story. But anyway, I digress. Um, so <laughs> that was your favourite book. The second one is someone who inspires you. Um, I've been so lucky in my career to have um, met um, some really amazing women who work in business and run businesses and um, to kind of be like adopted by them and to have them give me counsel and advice. Um, so I, it's so impossible to just pick one because there were just so many. Um, I had um, this amazing group of Australians um, who adopted me um, Kath Evans and Callie Amanitides, who were, um, you know, brought me into the, the business of um, the law firm that I work for and gave me this responsibility and taught me so much. And they were just so inspirational because they were amazing leaders, but they were just so kind with it as well. Um, but if I have to just pick one, it would have to be um, my friend, Nikki Marks, um, who runs her own market research company called Census Wide, who I do a lot of work with. Um, we started, oh God, it was probably like 12 years ago that we met each other because um, she hired me to help her build um, a London office for this business that she was setting up. And I had never worked with somebody that had so much energy, um, so much passion and was just so kind and nice to everybody all the time. I think maybe because I'd been working in media for a while, that was, um, that was unfamiliar, but um, it felt like there was this culture of like, the cool girls being like mean girls for a, a large part of my life. And Nikki was probably the first person who was like a cool girl who was just really super nice about it as well. And so happy to share her knowledge and to 
hire people and take a chance on people and she she's hired so many people that I know and that I've like put in contact with her and said Nikki this person's really great hire them and she's you know she's developed their careers and she's just so selfless and so wonderful and so yeah it would definitely be Nikki Marks. I love that I really think that kindness is what gets you forward in life I honestly believe that. Um, Finally can you give us one piece of advice for a fellow entrepreneur? Um, I think it's actually a bit of a cliche because I I say this all of the time but I talk about this concept that is discussed in this book called the seven habits of highly effective people um, which is the circle of concern and the circle of influence and the idea is that you have this whole circle which is all of these things that you're worrying about all the time and then in within that circle you there's another circle which is your circle of influence and that's the things that you can actually control and the the idea is that a lot of us expend a lot of energy and a lot of time worrying about things that we ultimately have very, very little control over. Um, And if we can channel all of our time and our energy into the things that we do have control over, we'll be happier and more productive and just more successful generally. And just more effective because, you know, it's very easy to spend a lot of time worrying about stuff that you cannot change um, and dwelling on things. In, you know, and I think it goes for how you, how, how you, when you interact with people as well. So I've managed a team now for eight years and you know, I've, I've grown a lot as a manager, but that is the one piece of advice I give people all the time. They come to me with a problem and I say to them, look, where does this go? The circle of concern or circle of influence? Because we can't change that person and their attitude, but what we can do is this. And I think as soon as you you can focus people's minds onto you know what they can actually make a, any improvement on is much better than having them worrying about things that they can't change and i think that's been really important as well through the pandemic um so we've got to stop worrying about those and just think about what can we do to make our lives better right now um thank you so much alison you have been absolutely fantastic now people need to go and follow you so that they can get these journal requests So tell people where they can find you. Yes, the easiest thing to do is to find me on Instagram probably. And then I have one of those link tree things. And then you can visit my website, have a look at the blogs. And you can also join the Facebook group where you can see all the free requests. So I'm at enlighten underscore PR um, on Instagram. So yeah, you can find me there. Charlie can put it in a link, uh, the bio description. Podcast. I'll be putting the, all the links in all the places. Thank yeah. you so much, Alison. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I've listened for so long and now I'm part of it. Yay. Thank you so much. If you have enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the Entrepreneurs Growth Club podcast, please come and join the Entrepreneurs Growth Club Facebook group. You're going to absolutely love it. I'm always sharing hints and tips on how to grow and scale your business and make more sales. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and leave me a review. I'll see you next time.